I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Well, I'm so grateful that my aunt Fran Cooper was able to be with us on October 10th um, to to preach at Kingstown and to preside over Olive's baptism. And and while she was there, she kind of gave this perfect pre-sermon, completely separate and yet altogether connected to our fall sermon and conversation series that we are really beginning today. This fall, we're going to be having an extended conversation together across Sundays at Hayfield and Church in the Trees and S'more Church and and Common Tables and Youth Group, all of it. We'll we'll all be having the same conversation. And, And I believe good conversations, they always start with good questions. In fact, they are rooted in good questions, questions that we always mean to ask but we never quite get around to asking them questions that keep us curious, questions that lead us deeper into courage and deeper into connection with each other. As we continue to regather this fall and and the challenges to becoming beloved community still prove to be, for each of us, complex and endless, Together, we will be asking these four simple questions, four questions that are meant to help us behold each other as images of the divine and strengthen our capacity for listening and for empathy and for compassion. And so I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? Where does it hurt? What do you need? And where do we go from here? And so this week, we begin with the first question. Do you remember 2020? (laughs) Or is it just a blur to you? I I remember parts of it. One particular memory that that I have from 2020, um, it was in the middle of November during the election season. And Chris and I were still living in our Carlisle Square apartment building. And because we didn't have yards to display our political signs, 
most of us on the first floor, we would use our windows facing out to, towards the street. We'd put our political signs in the windows. And I remember this one day while I was out walking to the, and my neighbor was out walking his dog um, and political signs for the different candidates just loomed like silent silhouettes in the windows on looking the sidewalk. And both my neighbor and I, we kind of nervously, awkwardly <laughs> standing out there with our respective geriatric dogs, we realized <laughs> that the signs in our windows were from opposite political parties. We didn't say anything, but we kind of just noticed it together. In step with each other, we, we met at the poop bag dispenser as, as if that's like the water cooler, right? Um, but, but I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, so do you have family in the area? And I talked about my family of educators and United Methodist ministers that all live up and down 64 between Norfolk and Richmond. And I talked about my, my older, now both retired parents and about how they, they like to visit up here, but just can't get, see themselves ever living up here. In fact, no one in my family really can see themselves living up here. They talk about Northern Virginia, like it's this place that things they love, like gardening and cheap gas and fine dining for under $200 and kindness all go to die. And then he told me about his large family and of the many cousins and siblings he had who, who live in the mountains about two hours west of here. And after a while, we finally disposed of the poop and we each headed back into our respective apartments. But essentially, what he had said to me that day, standing around the poop bag dispenser, was, Hey, I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? And through curiosity and listening, we remembered <clears throat> that we are born, he and I, of the same dust to which we will all one day return. Where are you from? This question alone will not heal our deep divisions or unify us in perfect harmony, but perhaps one question at a time, we might be able to remember how to stay curious and to keep asking and to keep listening and to keep seeking the face of God in each other. Where are you from? Fran helped us begin to think about this question last week, and I was reminded in my neighbor that we are both of the same dust and Fran reminded us as Christians that we are all born of the same water and called by the same spirit. I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? Where are you from? Huh? Well, let me tell you first a little bit about where I'm from. Where I'm from, how I became a Christian, even. Because while this question can elicit answers about my family's perspectives on Northern Virginia and a string of cousins just over the Blue Ridge, it can also pull out the stories of faith. Where are you from? From where is your faith? 
my faith is really born out of a mix of Pentecostal fervor of the poor white central Florida orange groves and the urban Southern Baptist discipline and divide of downtown Norfolk. A faith that never, never left either of my parents, though for years, neither of them lived out their faith in the church until I was born. And that fervor and that desire for discipline was renewed. And so when I was six years old, my dad picked up a phone book and he called every Pentecostal church within a 10-mile radius. All he knew was the Pentecostal church. That's all he looked up. Until a woman, Rejoice, picked up the phone and my dad said, if I bring my daughter to your church, do you all have a children's program that will teach her and engage her and set her on fire for God? And Rejoice said, come and see. I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? Our story today from John is really just two conversion stories, two faith origin stories, first of Philip and then of Nathaniel. And actually, if we, if we rewind a bit to the day after Jesus's baptism, Jesus has gathered together Andrew and Simon and Peter uh, and perhaps John, since John's telling this story now, and, and now Philip and Nathaniel. And, and Andrew came along easily. Remember the story? He was standing with John the Baptist and overheard John exclaim, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And off Andrew went following Jesus. But not without first asking Rabbi where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Andrew then tells Simon and he joins in too and gets renamed Simon Peter in the process. And by the time we get to day two of this gathering of the disciples in John's story, the process is quite streamlined. Jesus decides to go to Galilee next where he finds Philip and he says to Philip, Follow me, and Philip does. No questions asked, no pushback, no hesitation. But Nathaniel, he's a harder sell. Across these two days of Jesus meeting and calling his disciples, Nathaniel is the only disciple here who doesn't immediately accept Jesus' invitation. And his words are, are wonderful. His words make for some good scripture, and some great storytelling. When it comes to this story, biblical scholars are usually split in two different camps. Some think that Nathaniel is being ironic, and some think that Nathaniel is being earnest about his faith. Nathaniel speaks snidely. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus, without missing a beat, zings him back with reciprocal sarcasm. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Or maybe they're both being genuine. It's hard to tell. The scripture reads a bit like a series of text messages. We've got all the words, but it's very hard to decipher the tone. Most sermons on this text focus on Nathaniel. 
because his lines are juicy, right? We're all intrigued by, by, by this, this one famous question he asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? But today, I want to do something a little different. I want to focus on Philip. As I said, Jesus, on his second day of calling his disciples, he finds Philip. And he says to him, Philip, follow me. And the text goes on to say, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, Look, Nathaniel, we have found the one. We have found the one about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? But, but do you notice what Philip says to that? Philip, like Jesus, leaving a chasm of curiosity with Andrew and and with the other disciples, like rejoice opening a window of curiosity in my dad's search for a suitable home for my faith, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. Nazareth, the Messiah, the king, was not supposed to come from a small village like Nazareth. Not Jesus of Jerusalem, not Jesus of Capernaum, Jesus of, of Nazareth? That one? Jesus, you know, Joseph, the carpenter's kid, yeah, turns out he grew up and is the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. We probably shouldn't have beat him up on the way to Hebrew school, right? That Jesus of Nazareth. There was, there was nothing important in all of Nazareth. No government, no trade, no Starbucks, no Chinese food restaurant. Have you heard their accents in Nazareth? Have you? Our Lord and Savior might as well have been coming from deep Appalachia or Tangier Island or Jersey or Texas or Maine or Mexico. Uneducated bunch of backwater folk. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can it? And all of Nathaniel's presumptions are all on full display here. God couldn't possibly come from a God-forsaken backwater like Nazareth. Would the God of all creation dare to be born in a poor farming village in, in an occupied land? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and, and Philip just pauses. He just pauses. He smiles and nods his head. He says, Come and see. Where are you from? Come and see. What good can come from here? Come and see. The Greek word for seen in this context is horao or horoia, which literally means to know, to perceive, to understand. The disciples address Jesus as rabbi, and Jesus seems to suggest that by calling him rabbi, they do not fully perceive him. And Jesus invites them into a space where they can perceive him. 
And notice how Philip invites Nathaniel into a space where he can perceive him rightly too. He doesn't challenge Nathaniel. He doesn't berate him for his prejudices. He just invites him. Invites him to meet Jesus himself. Philip repeats the words of Jesus, you just come and see. You just come and see. And in so doing, he invites Nathaniel into a deeper level of curiosity, one that entails a willingness to learn as well as unlearn prior assumptions too. And in this kind of curiosity, it transcends superficial knowledge and requires great, greater investment of our time and our resources, but it's worth it. And it's contagious. I have a confession to make. I, I grew up steeped in that charismatic fervor. And in typical Pentecostal fashion, we claimed our space in the faith sphere by declaring who we were also not. We were not those high church Catholics, those people who worshiped the Pope. We were not those Baptists who were so disciplined and concerned about getting to lunch after church that they didn't believe in the Spirit. And we were certainly not those Methodists who claimed they believed in the Holy Spirit but looked completely unaffected by God in the pews. We were not any of them. And we were convinced that nothing good could come from Baptists or Methodists or Roman Catholics or Episcopalians, and no one ever invited me to come and see otherwise. Until I finally until I finally stumbled into a Methodist church as a last resort in adulthood. To follow Philip's example is to be an ambassador, not just for for Christ, but for curiosity. To take the snark and the sarcasm and the skepticism of the world and meet it with an invitation to experience something new, And something holy, come and see. We don't do the work of conversion, God does. But we do invite others into our homes and into our churches and into our experiences of the holy, come and see. Come and see is this invitation to an experience. Nathaniel's conversion didn't happen because someone else told him about Jesus. It happened because he encountered Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus happened because of Philip's invitation to come and see. More often than not, though, we we stand quietly and we stand awkwardly among the poop bag, the poop disposal bags, right? And we don't make the invitation whether with the prejudices of my early church years or, or benign neglect, we, we remain contented to do what we've always done with whom we've always done it. And the standard is division. The standard is separation. And unity is the exception to the rule. But in Jesus, it is also the greatest counter witness to the fractures of our broken world. And there is, there is no way to be the body of Christ without hearing Jesus' invitation to come and see. I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? Can anything good come from there? 
Can anything good come from setting aside premature conclusions and, and, and mis, misperceptions to remember and make room for such a simple question? Come and see. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Tear down the walls, tear down the walls, tear down the walls between us. There is peace at the table.